Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom, the kingdom, yes it is, gotta spread the word. And we're back. It's 2021 and you are listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the West Side Chicago representative. The baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. What's up, Rev? How goes it, sir? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, man. It feels good to be back. But let me first ask you this before we really just get into it. How'd you like that new intro song by my man, uh, the, the, the good brother, uh, Jeffrey Golden? Man, it takes me to church. And, you know, <laughs> I love church. Took us straight to church. He's like a, a young, uh, a young Fred, Fred Hammond or something, man. He he's getting down. But y'all should check him out, man. That's a good brother here in Atlanta, uh, Jeffrey Golden, Jeffrey with a G. And so you'll be enjoying that uh, intro for a while, man. We wanted to switch it up a little bit, uh, but certainly check out my brother's music when you get a chance. Ooh, man, it, it's been a while, man. It, it, it so much has happened, Chris, since we last spoke to the people. And, and I'll be honest, Chris. Um, This was one of the hardest episodes to prepare for because there was so much to talk about, so many things that needed to be addressed. But we only got so much time, so we can only address so many of them. And it really was a struggle for me to figure out exactly what to touch on. Now, we're going to focus on the Capitol insurrection. But even with that, there's a lot of stuff we're just not going to get to, man. So it was tough. But we just going to go ahead and get into it, man. This has been just a crazy uh, year so far, and, and we're hoping that that something changes about that. But but let's go on ahead and, and, and take it on. As we all know, last Wednesday, five image bearers lost their lives. Uh, at least a few of them were murdered by what was an enraged mob, by what was nothing other than domestic terrorism. I'm being told that that uh, either a few days ago that there was a I guess a Capitol police officer that's now committed suicide and there's investigations going on into those, some of those police officers. It's just a bad situation that seems to be getting worse as we get more uh, information. And one of the things I think we have to deal with is the fact that if these perpetrators of this evil riot weren't as unserious and half cocked as their leader, we might have had multiple federal officials assassinated in one setting. It could have been much worse. Now, I know some folks want to jump straight to the unity conversation. But let me tell you something. I think that would be a major mistake. And this is coming from a a, a reconciliation guy. I mean, I'm a conciliation guy, even when it's not in style, when it's not popular. 
and I hope we can get there, but we're not we're not there yet. Uh, I want unity, but I want real unity. I don't want the counterfeit middle of the mall version of unity. Uh, we need to sit in this reality for a good moment and let the significance of this tragedy sink in so we can build up the will to reform and prevent it from happening again. This whole conversation doesn't happen because we just want to beat up on somebody. It happens because it needs to happen and it's part of the process. Now, I'm not telling you, nor have I ever told anybody to be consumed by a state of rage and shame. That's not the point. But we need to let the gravity of what happened. We need to let an understanding of how we got here. We need to let all of that marinate for a moment. Don't move too quickly. We got to make sure that we deal with this, because if we move too quickly past dealing with the things we need to deal with, if the church doesn't reckon with its role in this matter, then we still won't learn a lesson that we should have learned decades ago. Centuries ago. Don't summarily try to move on because you don't want to be held accountable. Or because you don't want to acknowledge the American church's complicity in this matter. Yes, the medicine is bitter. But you just gonna have to man up. Those who jump straight to reconciliation, I'm telling you right now, you'll be standing by yourself as you should be. This is a process. And this process must be thorough. And it has to be orderly. This tragedy, whether you like it or not, has prologue. Which means we didn't get here just from the past four years. And nobody should be excused from this hastily and without cross-examination. And that's not judgment. That's accountability. Luke 17, 3 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. This tragedy was foreseeable and preventable. But at every turn, Christians who knew better, people who once said that character mattered, reneged. People who once said that Trump would bring this country low knew he would do it. They reneged for political power. Large segments of the church have been doing this over and over again. But this time they propped up Trump through false prophecies and everything else so that they could own the libs, so that they could get tax cuts and so that they could get their judges. And for four years, they gained the world. But my question is today. At what expense? Some of us defended and enabled a man who had no business in that office. Some of us continually made excuses for him. Yes, I know he he shamelessly lies nonstop, but. Yes, I know he lacks moral character, but. Yes, I know he called immigrants and women and people of color everything but children of God, but. But he's doing our bidding. But he's beating up the liberals that we're so afraid of. And now all the issues that you feared progressives would push forward have even more strength than they ever had before and will have less resistance because the church has lost credibility in the public square. And I'm just going to call it like this. Any leader who publicly endorsed Trump 
needs to needs to condemn his actions and many of them need to repent publicly. I'm not even going to ask you a specific question, uh, Chris. I'm just going to let you go ahead and, and, and run with it and just give me your thoughts on what's going on right now. Yeah. So, Justin, I'm going to uh, jump in right on something that you mentioned, uh, but it's something that is a particular concern to me. Um, and, you know, if you haven't heard me say it on the podcast already, I do pastor in an Assembly of God church. Uh, and so as a, uh, a pastor in a, a Pentecostal fellowship, uh, it is of particular concern to me uh, when we have to look at these false prophecies. Um, and I think now we can absolutely call them false prophecies um, that Donald Trump was going to win a reelection. Uh, you have to measure the prophecy uh, according to one standard. Did it come to pass? Uh, and it didn't. And so what we see is that for a long time uh, throughout the entire election cycle, prophets so-called prophets prophesied when God had not spoken. And that is a massive problem uh, in the church. Um, you know, for us to then try to move forward um, in two directions that I've seen uh, so far, either in the direction of trying to fix up the prophecy uh, with false reality. You know, so I prophesied that Trump would win the election. And so he had to have won the election. And therefore, the conspiracy about the election being stolen must be true because I prophesied that he was going to win. And so he had to have won. Um, that is illegitimate. Uh, we won't go into it here because this is not that podcast, but that is illegitimate. There's no way to even treat New Testament prophecy. Um, the second road is what, Justin, what you were just talking about, to just move forward into, well, we have to come together. We have to think about, uh, you know, the next four years and how we're going to protect, uh, you know, this conservative agenda. And like you said, Justin, we cannot move quickly uh, beyond that uh, for many, many reasons, not the least of which is the witness of the church uh, going into the future. Um, we have to sit down, discuss this. There needs to be confession. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be accountability uh, on these points. Uh, otherwise, we risk destroying our witness. And I will say, not just our witness in the political domain, which is uh, incredibly important in politics, civics, and government. The church has to be able to have a strong, uh, dependable voice that is filled with integrity. Uh, but not only in, in government and civics, this is impacting our witness uh, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put it uh, on my Twitter, I think, yesterday or the day before. Every day, there are people, and I talk to them all the time, in the Black community who reject Christianity on the basis that it is seen as a tool of white oppression. And this whole time, not just the insurrection, but this entire time of the Trump presidency, really, has done little to, to serve the gospel uh, when it comes to uh, sharing that gospel uh, in black and brown communities where so many people uh, see this faith, which is completely not that. It's completely not a, a, a white man's religion, uh, but it's seen that way. And when you're trying to 
teach folks and share the gospel and show them that this is not what Christianity is all about. All this that we're seeing does nothing uh, uh, to help us uh, bring the gospel in that way, let alone uh, those of us who are concerned with, uh, you know, the, the global impact of the gospel. People all over the world are seeing folks run up into the Capitol with weapons, beating police officers, uh, completely defying the government um, and, and trying to invalidate legitimate government processes at the same time waving banners that say Jesus saves. That is a problem. And like you said, Justin, it, it would be such a mistake. It would be so dishonoring uh, to God and so ineffective for anything that we say we believe in as Christians uh, to not really reckon with this moment. We got to reckon with the moment. I mean, that 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 has should be clear to everybody. It doesn't mean that we do so without compassion. It doesn't mean that we don't care about uh, people and, and try to see why they might have been in that position. But there's a need for a rebuke. And if you haven't caught on to that yet, this is a rebuke. Um, now, I want to be clear. This rebuke can't be for the sake of simply shaming people. This rebuke can't be about making them take the Game of Thrones Walk of Atonement like Circe, uh, and so they can, so we can endlessly, endlessly say "I told you so" or endlessly mm-hmm. say that my group is better than your group or your group is irredeemable. It has to be done with love and grace, but it needs to happen. If you get satisfaction out of watching other Christians squirm or seeing the world talk about how bad white evangelicals are, then you're in the wrong, too. Mm -hmm. We should all have a sense of grief right now. We should we should all be grieving right now. Now, people need to be held accountable. We'll say that over and over again. And we need to reckon with what's been done. But Christians should also have a sense of compassion and pity for those who were involved with this. Uh, we should keep in mind that it's not only, we should keep in mind really that it's only God's grace that separates us from the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not seeing a whole lot of that on, on, on Twitter. I, I think people are forgetting, you know, if, if you begin to think that these are, folks are irredeemable and that, and you've allowed yourself, you know, yourself to feel like you're, you're that much better than them. I would say that your anger or your tribalism has caused you to sin too. And this ain't about letting nobody get away with anything. It's about how we address it and where where it comes from. Right. I mean, there there can I know personally that there can be a certain delight or amusement in seeing your opponent demonstrate that they are as bad as you said they were. Mm-hmm. We've got to resist it. We've got to resist the urge. We've got to resist attributing to whiteness all that is unjust and sinful. And it is very, it's a huge temptation to do that right now. A huge temptation to do that right now. But that ain't the only battle we're fighting and we all have our own battles. And I'll just end with this and and, and let Chris have the the last word on this rebuke. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, but by the grace of God am I what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is worth saying uh, without equivocation, the church played 
a major role in what we saw on Wednesday. And if we can't say that, um, we've got a problem. We need to be able to say that. We played a role, and we've got to figure out how that happened, why it happened, and how we can make sure that it doesn't happen again. Thank you, brother. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about, I guess, partially the how. How, how did we get here? Or maybe it's the why. Why did we get here? What were we doing wrong? We'll be back in a second. All right, we're back. As many of you know, fear and naked ambition play a huge role in American politics. I'd venture to say that those are the primary vices of Christian politicians in the public square today. Not everybody's vice, but many of them. And it's interesting because this ambition and this fear are interestingly intertwined, where you can almost not tell which one is motivating a certain action. We see it. We see it over and over again. Right. Uh, Christians compromising their beliefs to get in office, then doing it again to move up to the next level. Christians not speaking up because they don't want to lose the next election or because they want to garner favor from big donors. Christians in political office, finding creative ways to rationalize sinful positions to get what they want. We know that it's nothing new. We read we read it in the Bible in several different places and we talk about how awful it is or we think about how awful it is when we see folks doing that. But when we get a taste of power. It seems to hit a little bit different. For Democrats, this usually happens in regard to abortion and the Christian sexual ethic. The party has been clear that if you want their support, if you want your name out there, if you want to get exposure, if you don't want to be canceled. You better take a left. For Republicans in the past four years, it's come through defending and enabling Trump. During the 2016 election primary, a lot of conservative leaders were very open about calling Trump out. Then something strange happened. He ended up winning, and they conspicuously and shamelessly became sycophants to maintain their own power. This happened not just at the U.S. Capitol. This happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. They knew he was poisonous. Yes, they, yet they started showing up to his rallies and using his talking points to endear his base. Others made political arguments from theological platforms. Senator Ted Cruz, in my opinion, I don't know about you, Chris, but in my opinion, Senator Ted Cruz is one of the worst examples of this. He has consistently been one of the most nakedly ambitious politicians in American politics. He follows the mob wherever it may go, trying to capitalize on whatever trend that he sees. Very little to no integrity. And I think this time, He crossed the line. He needs to step down. Trump was given almost free reign in his party because of self-interest and fear. And it's very unfortunate, but I got to say it really only one man in particular. As of late, stood up against him. 
Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, stood up to Trump in a way that almost no one else dared to do. He didn't flinch when the most powerful man in the world gave him a call and said things he wasn't supposed to say and put an undue influence on him. And he deserves credit because he has integrity. And it doesn't matter what party he's in. He has integrity. Now, I know the MSNBC crowd has already been told not to give him any credit, not to you know, say that he did a good thing because he's a Republican and you can never give the other side credit. If that's your stance, then you're wrong. Make sure that you would do the same thing in the same situation, because I don't see too many people anywhere in politics standing up to somebody with that much power. I don't see them standing up to donors. I don't see a lot of people standing up to their party. Now, they're out there. But just realize when you get an example like that, it's something to learn from and it's something that you should should hold up to others. Chris, talk to me a little bit about. Fear and ambition in politics and the role that you think it's played in this conversation and just in general. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that it is uh, first I'll say this. I think it's a, a learning moment for all of us, uh, because as you said, Justin, you. You think it can never be you uh, until you are that proximate to the power. Um, and, and then you really get to learn uh, what what you're really made of and what is on the inside of you. Uh, I, I, I say that not just tongue in cheek. I say it because of uh, personal experiences that I've had in my own life. Um, where the, the clamps, uh, so to speak, were put on uh, on some of these issues uh, in politics. And so uh, you, you think it's an easy decision to stand up for your values, uh, but it is not an easy decision. Um, I, I, I've, I've sat in the room uh, with political heavy hitters uh, in this city, essentially trying to force me off my principles. Uh, and it is not an easy decision. There is internal turmoil that you have to work through. That said, you have to work through it. And if you want to be uh, a leader in the government, if you want to be a leader in the church that uh, impacts and and influences government, uh, you've got to be able, by the grace of God, to overcome that internal turmoil uh, and to make the right decision. Uh, It's a lot of pressure. Um, We're all human. We all have flesh. Uh, We like power. You want to be in office. If if you have a, a, a political career, you want to be in office. You want to get elected. Um, you want to stay in office. And there are so many factors. Uh, some of them, you know, probably shouldn't be as much of a factor, but there are donors and there are uh, political kingmakers and party leaders and chairman and, and all this stuff. I mean, these, these are the realities of our democratic system of government. But I do think if at any point you realize that is too much, then you've at least got to have the integrity to step away. It's, it's not to say that it's easy. It's not. Fear is real. Uh, ambition is real. And I, I don't sit here, um, you know, un, under any illusion. I think any of us who become involved in uh, electoral politics, especially, have some level of desire to win elections, uh, to play a role in, in, in government, to have influence and uh, be able to make decisions, hopefully to guide things in a way that we think 
uh, is best for the success and the flourishing of our country and our communities, right? That's why we get into it. But you get into it with some desire to, to get elected, to have influence, to win. Like that's, you don't want a politician who doesn't want to win. Um, but when you ever realize, and I, I can't say this strongly enough, if you, if you ever realize that is too much, when you learn that, whether in a small case or in, in a large case, like this national insurrection that we're looking at, um, when you realize that, you've got to have at least the integrity uh, to step away for a while um, and either have yourself rebuilt by a community of faith uh, or just, you know, you got a law degree. Go practice the law. Yeah, you're never entitled to that position. Uh, you're never meant to be in a position where you have to compromise yourself over and over again. And and that's and that's what I think people need to see. And you made a, a great point. This is way easier said than done. Uh, when you get that taste of power, when you get the opportunity to to shine and be in front of people and make decisions and be a person of consequence, it's not easy to walk away from. But again, that's why we have the word. That's why the Bible tells us and shows this, us this example over and over again. And it seems so clear until we get into that situation. And I've been there, too. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily with office, but it was about, you know, kind of subsiding some of what I believe to, to rise up in political spaces. So I know this from from personal experience. And I've had friend after friend after friend who's been in this situation now. The question that I want to ask us as Christians is, do we really know what courage is today? Mm -hmm. I think too often we feign courage by constantly attacking the other side on social media because we know we'll get applause from those we seek validation from. But I want to challenge you today because I, I, I don't think that's courage. If you're not willing to lose what you have and lose future prospects then you're not demonstrating Christian courage. That's what Christian courage is. It's to be able to go into a situation. If I'm in office, of course, I don't want to lose, but I'm willing to lose if that's what I have to do. And I think we're fortunate, Chris, to have some really good examples around us of courage. I've seen a lot of courage out of you and in, in the situation uh, that you kind of alluded to. Uh, I was in Chicago not so, so long ago, got to see uh uh, a, a sermon by Dr. Charlie Dates, who was a friend of both of ours. Mm -hmm. And this brother, while I was there in a pointed but constructive way, called out the leaders of his city, called out one of the most popular people in the world on behalf of the church, on behalf of his congregants. And I'd go so far as to say that, that you're not willing to step out there and do things like that for the church. Then you're not in a position to be a Christian leader. You're not ready for that kind of leadership. Yeah. I'll name somebody else. Jackie Hill Perry. I see her every week stand in a very secular public square and bear witness to God's truth about about sexuality and get canceled even by some Christians and come back and do it again and again, more articulately more articulately than probably anybody else out there talking about this subject and doing it for God's glory. Most recently, and, and, and dealing with this issue of the insurrection, we have Dr. Russell Moore, who runs the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. 
this brother came out early and, and and talked about why Trump shouldn't be in office and why he shouldn't have Christian support. And then he just recently stood up again against powerful people in his denomination, people who signed his checks and told them the truth about Trump and said, if you want to get rid of me, then you might just have to get rid of me. That's courage. That's not idle chatter from Twitter fingers with no skin in the game. We've got to be more than that. Everybody is so tough when screaming across the aisle. But when our tribe is doing dirt, we wouldn't bust a grape. We're like toy poodles barking at a pit bull that's on the other side of the fence. Everybody is Mike Tyson when they're shadow boxing. But what are we going to do with those folks who are in our sphere of influence? And it's not just about the fight. It's about the willingness to stand up for something that's greater than you. And every one of us, whether you're in a position of power, everybody listening to this podcast right now, whether you're in a position of power or not, all of you have the opportunity to be courageous and do the right thing almost on a daily basis. And it's not easy. But what we have to do as a community is we have to stand by those who are being brave. Courage inspires people. And we need to lift up courageous leaders who are saying what needs to be said. And we need to challenge those who try to uh, punish them for it. That's something we should all be committed towards. Any any additional thoughts, Chris, just on. The courage conversation and, and finding courage, especially in the in the in the civic space. Yeah, I mean, one, I wish that there were so many more names uh, that we could add to the, the list uh, of folks who are demonstrating courage uh, in this particular moment. Um, and it is unfortunate that we cannot. Um, I've alluded to it, but it, it just keeps reminding me, Justin, our entire political uh, discourse right now of Ezekiel chapter 22, uh, where Ezekiel is talking about the officials uh, who are like wolves tearing at their prey and destroying lives so that they can make a dishonest profit and pat and profit uh, who, who whitewash them with false visions and false divinations. Um, everybody is able to make God into the image of their political tribe. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's very problematic. The, the more courageous thing to do uh, is to let God be God uh, and to speak from that platform uh, of values, no matter what. Um, you know, I, I have tried to live by this uh, and, I would encourage everybody who's listening to this uh, to adopt some version of this. If you desire to move into uh, civic space and government, if you are currently in civic spaces and in government, don't ever judge yourself by uh, how you deal with uh, uh, the others, right? The, your opponents, the folks on the other side of the aisle uh, in the other kind of uh, political tribe, if you will. Don't don't judge yourself by how you uh, deal with them because everybody's going to cheer you and it's not going to cost you anything uh, to deal uh, uh, in, a, in a principled way with your opponents. Judge yourself by how you deal with the folks inside of your own tribe, inside of your own uh, political party, the ones who will be able to take something from you, who give to your campaigns, who give to your uh, organizations, who maybe sign your check 
who who retweet you and 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 cheer for you when when you speak how you deal with those folks uh, when their behavior is problematic according to what we believe based on the bible that is the true measure of courage in civics uh, and in government and this is not just to to move us into uh, any kind of false equivalency or a yeah, but kind of uh, uh, position when it comes to uh, this this insurrection, because that everything that we've said before this moment is absolutely true. But I don't think it's too soon to begin to say to those who participate on the left, our time, your time is coming, right? It, it, it's probably here where the profiles in courage uh, will be much more ego- easily distinguishable um, in that space because you see that community coming into power. Uh, and so I, I bring that up not to create a false equivalency, but to, to urge us even at this moment uh, to, to understand that we should be not just being angry. Uh, not just, as you said, Justin, trying to shame folks uh, in this moment, but we should be learning here uh, because if, if Paul has to say, but for the grace of God, there go I, then who are we uh, to think that we automatically live above uh, uh, all of this uh, uh, difficult, difficult temptation uh, that presents itself all the time in government and in civics? That's a good word, man. Uh, I think one thing to keep in mind is if you only call out conservatives or you only call out progressives, then you may need to question how courageous you really are. The last thing I'll leave you with on, on this part is courage often just comes into conflict with ambition. <laughs> it does. Uh, faithfulness often comes into conflict with ambition and discipleship often comes into conflict with ambition. Doesn't mean ambition is always bad. But it should certainly not be your master. We'll be right back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the AND campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the AND campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The AND campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we're back. Uh, Man, this has been a a lot in this episode because we got a lot going on, man, but I hope Y'all are getting something out of it and, and hear our hearts, um, hear our hearts. 
You know, one of the things, Chris, that I said at the beginning of Trump's presidency uh, was that we had to make sure that we didn't let him lower our standard of discourse and our general interactions. That his behavior, either in reacting to it or defending it, should not become the norm. It should not become the standard. And I'm pretty sure we failed to do that. You you may think differently, but I, I think I think on both sides, whether it's folks that voted for him or folks that didn't vote for him, they allowed him to lower the bar. One uh, example of this is just how everybody curses now on stage. Like Democrats think it's cool to curse. Everybody thinks it's cool to curse at political rallies. Uh, now people only think that you're serious and, and you're passionate if you're cursing or you're spewing vitriol or you're taking the most extreme positions and measures. I mean, people will really look at the end campaign like y'all must not care because you're not willing to use the most extreme rhetoric and take the most extreme measures. And that's the measure of whether whether uh, you care or not. No worry about whether it's counterproductive or not or if it's actually effective. You just need to be upset. And if you don't show that in some way, then you don't know how bad the other side is. In a lot of ways, what I'm getting at, Chris, is I think there are folks on both sides that have a Trump centered public witness. Right. For these last four years, their whole public witness has been centered on Trump, whether it was in defending him and or dismissing everything he did or whether it was going against everything he did. Folks didn't have anything to say without some consideration of how it would would impact him. And so I think in this post Trump uh, moment that we're coming to, while we need to the reckoning, we need the uh, we need to deal with the issues that 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 have happened. And that's going to take a little while. Christians have to go out of their way to reset and not have a Trump centered public witness because we will never recover. We will never have healing if this error. And and I want to be clear, all of this wasn't just Trump. So what we're not saying is that Trump started this and this was all him. We know the damage that he did. Hopefully y'all know the damage that has been done, but it was going on before he came. I'm just saying in this moment, while this administration was in office, we can not allow that moment to be the center of everything else we do for the next 10, 20 years. We cannot do that because we will not heal. We will not help people. Nothing will happen but polarization, uh, anger and frustration. We can't lower the standard. And here's the other part for, for, for you progressives and Democrats that listen to this. We cannot lower the standard for the new administration. I don't care who you voted for. I can almost guarantee you that Democrats are going to try to get a pass from all critique for the next four years because of how bad Trump was. Now, don't critique us. Don't do. Do you know how bad Trump was? I do know how bad Trump was. But guess what? You're held to a standard of your own and you've got to do the right thing on your own. And you're expected to do what's right for the American people, regardless of what you think the other folks were doing. And so I just really want folks to think about this reset to make sure that I'm not centered around my whole perspective on politics and civics isn't centered around what happened in the last four years. I got to recognize it. I can't walk away and act like it didn't happen. But does it control how I view everything and how I address other people? Any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I, I think that is absolutely essential that we decenter Trump uh, as we move into uh, the future. Uh, I think that that decentering has to start, though, in the reckoning uh, with the moment. 
Um, because if we if we only reckon with Trump uh, in the moment, uh, then a lot of really important things uh, get missed. Um, you know, racism did not start with Donald Trump. Um, you know, uh, this this whole you know movement of of kind of Christian nationalism or whatever it is that we uh, want to call it did not like Donald Trump didn't invent it. Right. It, it kind of gave us Donald Trump more than anything. Um, and so I, I think whenever I see, Justin, uh, this quick coalescing of 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 of, of Democrats, Republicans, liberals and, and conservatives, however you want to call it, um, when I see people who have just been at each other come together too quickly around any agreement or issue, uh, it always gives me pause. Uh, and and so what I, I I urge as we try to move forward in a way that decenters Trump uh, is that we recognize that centering Trump in the reckoning itself is a very convenient path for everybody who is in power, right? Like if we can just scapegoat Donald Trump and and say that this was all because of Donald Trump and Donald Trump, uh, you know, uh, stirred up an insurrection, which he he did and has to pay. Uh, some consequence for that, but but he didn't invent it, right? Uh, if we only scapegoat Donald Trump, then what will happen is that the racism, the white anger, um, and, and all of these things that have made their way into the headlines, they're going to be pushed out of the headlines, uh, which when they're in the headlines, they're much less likely to hurt black and brown people. But when you push them out of the headlines, we won't deal with them in any real way. And it just gets pushed back down into state legislatures and local police departments and local school districts and middle management and corporations where it has been hurting black and brown people for a really long time. And if we only talk about Donald Trump, punish Donald Trump, deal with Donald Trump, push Trump out of the headlines, we push all that stuff back down into the society in a way that does not help the folks who have been suffering this stuff for so long, we push it back down into all those local spaces. We push it back down into local churches. Like somehow we've got to find a way to make this not a conversation about Donald Trump. This has to be a conversation about us. This has to be a conversation about the church. This has to be a conversation about American society. Um, you know, we, we, we have to decenter him in the reckoning. Uh, one other piece that I think about in the reckoning, right, is is this 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 kind of tech. What I think is an overreach, right? Uh, I, do I particularly oppose shutting down Donald Trump's uh, Twitter account? Not necessarily, but folks have been saying do that for a long time, and nobody could make Twitter do it. Now, you know, all of you know, big tech is kind of scrubbing everybody who they have determined uh, shouldn't be there, and they've made these rules. They're the only ones who get to uh, enforce these rules. The rules are not transparent or clear. And it seems fine when the target is somebody who we disagree with. But what happens when your form of speech, my form of speech, uh, is the speech that's deemed inappropriate by a relatively arbitrary and unregulated standard? Um, and so all, all these things are happening in the reckoning. And I think the reckoning itself will put us on a path towards something. Uh, and I hope that it is not... Uh, uh, just dealing with one person 
uh, and four years of a presidency uh, that was much more the product of American problems uh, than it was the, the, the cause of them. Um, and so I, I think that we have to move forward uh, in a, into a post-Trump era uh, by decentering him. But I think we, and if we're going to do that successfully, I think a lot of it has to start right now uh, as we reckon with the moment that we are in. Man, I hope you all are hearing this uh, loud and clear. Um, the rebuke is necessary. The reckoning is necessary. A reset is necessary. But that reset doesn't necessarily <laughs> uh, throw away any of the two before that. Right. The reset is just to make sure that we don't stay stuck in this position. Um, and that we understand it's bigger than Trump. Um, and that we need to we have a lot of issues that we need to deal with and we need to make sure that everybody is held to a standard and that in any place that we've lowered our standard, we begin to raise that standard and Christians play a huge role in that. Well, as usual, brother, uh, love talking to you, my brother, man, I get so much out of uh, your courage, the things I've seen you do, your witness, man. Thank you for 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 being on and being my co-host in this new year. Looking forward to, to having a lot of fun. Uh, spreading the word and, and just getting it done, brother. So thank you. Man, thank you. I, I just want to say that I'm uh, honored, uh, one, ever to, to be able to just talk with with, with you, Justin. I mean, it's, it's always uh, an incredible learning experience. Um, you have really been, and I've said it on this podcast before, uh, just a tremendous blessing to me. And so to be on the podcast with you uh, is an honor. Uh, to, and it's an honor to be able to talk with all of you uh, who who listen to this. So um, thank you to Justin and thank you to to everybody who's who, who listens. Man, uh, likewise, brother. And we've got a lot of work to do. So uh, as usual, Ann Camp, uh, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, man, camp. We'll holla. Somebody say kingdom. kingdom. Oh, Lord. I say kingdom.